If you're visiting with us today, thank you. Uh, thanks for taking a chance on us. We're just we're just home folks. We're not celebrities. We're not mega church. We just love people and we love God and we're glad you're here. Uh, I have a very timely message, and I say that not in the manner of preacher speak, although us preachers do have a very well-defined preacher speak. And if you've been around church very much, you've heard preacher speak more than once or twice. Um, I, I feel like this is something that the Lord put in my spirit recently as I have been reflecting about how easy it was for devout, zealous um, Jewish men and women, even members of the Sanhedrin Council, um, even those who uh, spent their retirement around the temple complex, um, how easy it was for them to miss the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ in Bethlehem. Even when uh, the wise men asked where he would be born and uh, that enemy of all things good and honorable, Herod himself, asked of his scholars uh, where Jesus would be born, king of the Jews, everyone was able to say Bethlehem, but how many of them made the journey to Bethlehem to see that Jesus had been born? Um, as far as we know, none of them came uh, to see uh, what God was doing. Isn't it interesting that the Lord had to bring in outsiders and nobodies? Outsiders and nobodies. Why do I say outsiders and nobodies? Well, the wise men were um, Zoroastrians from Persia, um, and uh, the nobodies were the shepherds. The shepherd was the really, in many ways, the the blue collar workers of uh, Jewish life. In many ways, they uh, they had uh, less than normal respect. Um, than, than, say, someone like a lawyer or a scribe. Uh, and these outsiders and nobodies are the ones who get the truth that Christ is born. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Somebody say, I need a Savior. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Um, I am not unsympathetic to how easy it is to miss what God is doing. And as I was uh, reflecting on this one morning after early prayer, um, somehow our prayer either, I don't remember exactly what happened, something that I said when I was leading or uh, one of our other prayer leaders uh, may have been Brother Paul or Sister Venice or Sister Bridget or Brother... Uh, uh, oh, well, we got a bunch of prayer leaders. Let me stop. <laughs> Um, uh, I, I don't remember who it was was praying, but I, it got me thinking about how they missed um, the birth of Jesus. And that led me to ask the question, what, what is an example of something I could be missing right now? And I felt like uh, in that, that moment, the Lord awakened me to something I knew about, but I wasn't appreciating spiritually. And that was the uh, tremendous outpouring of hatred toward the Jewish nation uh, happening right now, even after they suffered from uh, a terrorist attack, and it was their people, uh, their babies and their wives who were uh, kidnapped. Now, I'm aware of the fact that this can be a very political subject, and I will do my best to avoid the the politics as much as possible. However, I am a big, big believer in uh, covenant and that God is a covenant-keeping God. And I, I won't apologize for that. Every word of his holy book reminds us that he is a covenant-keeping God. Yes. He said he will do it, and my brother, my sister, he will do what he said he will, 
he will do. And I have been astonished at the hatred poured out against the Jewish people. If that deed had been done in America, do you think Americans would be calling for a ceasefire? No. And again, I say no. We would be, you remember the militancy after 9-11? We had people lining up at recruiting offices. We had old people asking if they could join. There was this stunning outpouring of patriotic fervor and even um, the natural militancy that is the inheritance of all humanity. Um, We love a revenge story. We love a revenge story. Some of the most famous novels and some of the most famous movies made or written are revenge fantasies where people get their comeuppance. They get their right to bring to others what has been given to them. We uh, love the zero-sum game of an eye for an eye and a tooth for uh, a tooth. But if it's Israel suffering, then there's a lot less tolerance. And um, we, in some ways, are astonished at the outpouring of uh, what the news would call anti-Semitic uh, mentality and behavior and speech. Um, I, thinking about this, wanted to uh, talk about this subject of the less that we learn from uh, Israel and how uh, Israel speaks in prophecy. It has a place in prophecy. And I want to point out this to all of you Bible-believing Christians. Now, if you're not a Bible believer, this message will have little influence upon you. Um, Not everyone can believe the Bible. What they will do is they'll uh, find uh, two or three places where the Bible seems to speak um, at its worst, uh, or at least at the worst of humanity. Uh, And then they'll say, well, because of that, there's nothing good in it. But we knew uh, this would happen. The scripture told us that this would happen. Uh, People would critique God himself and create, critique the creator and exalt themselves above uh, their own creator. And so if you are a Bible-believing Christian, then Israel's prophetic and spiritual significance is incomparable, and there's no way to get beyond that. And so I'm going to preach on the uh, significance of Israel and prophecy, and I'm going to address some of these issues today because it is a sermon of the moment. And if we miss the uh, manner in which uh, the forces of the enemy would seek to destroy God's covenant people in this moment, it can show us, remind us, instruct us just how easy it is for us to miss uh, what God is doing just as the house of Israel uh, missed the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. I want to start by saying this. Um, uh, The uh, Israel is involved in essentially 100% of biblical prophecy. You cannot turn your attention to biblical prophecy without um, understanding the involvement of God's covenant people. I said it earlier, I, I will say it again, and I ask you to apply it in your own life. God is a covenant giving and a covenant keeping God. He will do what he said he will do. 
He is not a man that he needs to lie. He is infinite and powerful, and it's just as easy for him to do what he said or desired or wanted or intended to do. It's just as easy for him to do it as it would be not to do it. It is mankind that needs to lie because we love to make claims that we cannot keep. Therefore, lies are necessary for us. But God is not a man that he should lie. Uh, Israel is a land of destiny, and Israel is a people of destiny. I'm not saying they are always right. I'm not saying they are without sin. You will find all the flaws of humanity in uh, the Israeli uh, people and in the Jewish people. They are people just like us. They hate and cry and bleed and transgress and harm and steal and kill and conspire like all of us. They're no better or worse than the common milk of humanity that is poured into our own being. They are common flesh of a common flesh with one unique experience, one unique covenant difference, I should say, and that is God chose them to fulfill a destiny in the earth. And if you cannot admire, receive, and accept that, then maybe you need to find another holy book. Because from beginning to end, the holy book that has been given to us is filled with a covenant given and a covenant keeping God. That ought to, if you are a believer, that ought to fill your heart with some spiritual expectation because God has given you a covenant also. He has given you a promise also. He has said wherever you are, he will be there with you. He has said he will be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He has said he will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He is a covenant-keeping God. The eyes of the whole world are focused on this tiny state of Israel as perhaps they should be. Why? Because Israel is a people and a land of destiny. And as Israel goes, so goes the world. And as Israel goes, so goes the Gentiles. Israel is God's yardstick, God's outline, God's blueprint, and God's program of what he will do in the earth. Has God turned his back upon Israel because they have rejected him. This is where prophecy begins to speak to you if you can receive it. So he that hath an ear, let him hear what the scripture would say. Has God turned his back upon Israel? Are the promises and covenants that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob forgotten? I would say no a thousand times no. Through the whole of the word of God is the covenant promised and as the covenant given and is the covenant kept. So I want to use the story of Israel as an illustration to the larger house of Israel. What do I mean by that? Jesus, his work was both an accomplishment of uh, the perfect life, the redemptive life, the innocent lamb whose blood was shed as a covering for us, but more, 
he is the one who adopts whosoever will. And we have, through Jesus Christ, become the children of Abraham. We, too, are the children of Abraham. And so, since this is Sunday school, let me just say, Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father And I am, and so are, so, I need to say it to this side, they weren't saying nothing, so let's just praise the Lord, and since y'all are quiet, quiet, you have to do this part with me, right hand, left hand, right foot, left foot, don't turn around and stay seated. Israel becomes an instructive image to us in New Testament scripture. And I want to take you on a quick journey through the scripture. And first of all, I want to give you a principle uh, that is threaded through the whole of God's uh, sacred word. I'm going to read Revelations chapter number 12, and we're going to read it verse number one. I'm going to read from the King James Version, because there is no language so majestic in speaking prophecy than the old English itself. So forgive me while I reveal my majestic preference for the book of Revelations. Chapter 12, verse number one, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. Who is this woman of mystery, this original wonder woman in the heavens? Who is this uh, woman? Is this woman the Virgin Mary? No, it cannot be. The description does not fit. Is this woman the church to come, the bride of Christ? No, how can we say that? The church did not produce Jesus. Rather, Jesus produced the church. Uh, Who is this wonder woman in the heavens, this woman shown in prophetic image language? Uh, We read the book of Revelations with modern ears and modern manner of communication. And so oftentimes... Uh, it can sound almost like special effects to us, this description of prophetic image. That's because we are not familiar with first century Hebrew poetry and prophetic language. However, to the first century readers who were familiar with Hebrew prophetic language poetry and psalm, they would have immediately understood it because the book of Revelations is not the only document written in the style of first century Hebrew prophetic language poetry and psalm. It is only strange to us, and we read it with this temptation to, in some way, apply a Hollywood-esque special effects vibe to it, and we end up with this caricature, this cartoonish, uh, flawed imagery, because what we take away from it is the special effects, not the spiritual principle. That's not how first century prophetic language was taken by the reader. Don't have time for that. Moving along. Uh, This Wonder Woman in the heavens. This Wonder Woman is the nation of Israel. You can see it uh, confirmed in other places. I'll give you Genesis 37 and 9. And he dreamt 
yet another dream and told it his brother, and this is Joseph, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars made obeisance to me. Why would you say that, Joseph? Because Joseph was one of the stars, one of the sons of uh, I, um, uh, Isaac, and uh, or Jacob, I should say. And so you see how we automatically have a biblical insight, a woman with 12 stars, Joseph being one of those uh, stars. Um, this woman in the heavens is the nation Israel. Uh, Isaiah 54 and 5, for thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy redeemer, the holy one of Israel, the God of the whole earth shall he be called. For the Lord, verse 6, hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit and a wife of youth when thou wast refused, saith the Lord. Jesus comes to us through the house of Israel. Jesus comes to us from the house of the Jews. Now, let me skip to the New Testament. Lest you think I am only referencing Old Testament prophetic understanding. Romans 9, starting at verse 4. Who are the Israelites? Paul asks rhetorically. He's going to tell you exactly who they are. To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises? Whose are the fathers? And of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all. God blessed forever. And let somebody say with me, amen. Uh, I want you to see that this woman in the heavens who is mysteriously showing us a spiritual truth, the point is not Hollywood-esque special effects. The point of this prophetic language, first century, uh, given to us through the prophet, uh, disciple John, it is uh, insight into uh, things uh, of the spirit. Genesis 12 and 3. This gives you this truth. The house of Israel is a God-ordained, God-called, God-protected, and God-blessed nation. They were called and blessed to be a blessing to the whole world. Yes, they missed their purpose. You can read about it. When Christ came to his own and his own did not receive him, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. They were blessed to be a blessing. And rather than being a conduit of blessing, a, a Jordan River of uh, green lands and plentiful harvest, instead, they became a dead sea of religion turned into self, where everything is about separating from the sinner, closing off the court of the Gentiles, and only celebrating a self. They miss Genesis 12 and verse number three. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. There they want to stop, but the Lord does not stop. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God is a covenant-giving God, and God is a covenant-keeping God. And the story of grace is this. When God gives you a covenant, he keeps it whether or not you keep it. 
He is faithful whether or not you are faithful. He is steadfast whether or not you are steadfast. He will bless who he will bless. You say, that's not fair. I'm not saying he's fair. I'm saying he's good. You see, there is something that happens when the person meets God's promise with the faith that has been gifted them. They step into a different category of spiritual purpose. As long as you drowned your faith in a flood of your own distraction, there's no covenant place. There's no covenant purpose for you. As long as you hinder what God would do within you, you have closed the door of the spiritual potential. But God's seeking somebody who looks for a city whose builder and maker is God. Abraham, can you leave your comfort zone? Abraham, can you follow me? Abraham, can you, can you believe in a fruitfulness that only I can give you? Can you believe in a fruitfulness that only I can impart to you? It'll be physically impossible for you. And I won't do it until you agree with me that it's physically impossible. But once we get on the same page where even your wife laughs at the promise, now we're ready to do something because God's just getting started about the time we're all ready to quit. I'm preaching better than you're responding, just so you know. Deuteronomy 7 and 6, for thou art a holy people. What does that mean? That means a set apart people. The covenant will make you of heaven. The covenant will make you God's people. You are a set apart people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Let me just say this to you. You would do well to bless God's covenant people, whether they are of the house of Israel or whether they are the inheritance of Abraham through faith. You would do well to speak blessings upon those whom God would bless. You would do well to speak goodness upon those to whom God has shown goodness. So here is the first principle that rises from this prophetic language. There is a significance to covenant people. There is a significance to people God has placed in a a special condition of divine covenant. You can hate them all you want, but it will not change the covenant. You can seek to kill them all you desire, but it will not change the covenant. That's why you cannot destroy the nation of Israel and you cannot destroy the church. Many have tried. Many have sought to. Many have sharpened the knives of their hatred. But the church goes on and the covenant people continue because God keeps his covenant. So uh, first principle, there's a special significance to the covenant people. The second principle is there is, so uh, just to, um, so the, the first one is special significance. The second principle is there is a satanic enemy of covenant people. Satan focuses his efforts upon covenant people. Why would Satan care about the people who have already bought into satanic theology and elevated their selves to the place of God? There is no need to focus upon them. Satan focus, focuses upon covenant people. Back to Revelations chapter number 12, verse 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. 
And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon these horns. Don't get caught up in the special effects language. The first century reader of uh, this type of prophetic uh, psalm and poetry uh, understands it, so don't turn it into a Hollywood-esque show. There's a principle in the story. This seven crowns upon his head and his tail do a third part of the stars of heaven. This is an image not of a tail across the heavens, uh, but divine heavenly rebellion, where a third of the heavenly host sought to join with Lucifer and overthrow the throne. His tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule over all the nations with a rod of iron. Hasn't felt like it that, but just wait. There's a day coming. And the second time he comes, he will not come on the back of a donkey or hiding in a stable, but he will come at... mm, Moving along. She brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Just hold on, honey. That day's coming. And her child was caught up unto God and his throne. (coughs) Excuse my uh, bronchial recovery. (coughs) Ah, Bless the Lord. That's the sound of a preacher struggling. Ah, Bless him, Jesus. All right, so there's special significance to covenant people. Secondly, there is satanic enemies, not just the anti-Semitism of people who don't like you, not just the people, the neighbors in your neighborhood who don't like you, but a dreadful dragon himself, strong and cruel. Yes, the, the language is dramatic, as all uh, first century prophecy language is uh, dramatic, and uh, you can read it, but understand it in the principles of spiritual uh, understanding. Everything here gives insight. The red speaks of his bloodlust. The horns, the head, the crowns are symbols of earthly power. You see more of this later in Revelations. He is the ultimate rebel and he leads one third of the angels into rebellion and he seeks to win the throne through power. But there's a problem. You cannot defeat with power the one who holds all. Pick something else, baby. You're not going to do it with power. He holds all power. They lead rebellion. Satan marshals his fallen angels. He gathers his demonic forces and he seeks to cast down heaven. But it's a great big um, flutter fest. It's a great big disappointment. Uh, Matthew 25, 41. Then shall he say, this is a picture of judgment, unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You would have to intentionally join the forces of evil to get the judgment that was designed for them. Satan's ultimate battle was to destroy everything that was good. Therefore, to do that, you would have to supplant God himself. But Satan cannot win this battle. He can do his best. He can do his worst. And the next scene of your prophetic movie is Satan falling like lightning from heaven, saying, whoopsie, I made a bit of a mistake. Hell cannot stop the plans of God. 
Hell cannot stop what God has said he's going to do. Let me take you back to principle number one. God is a covenant-keeping God. And if God said he would do it, he will do it. He won't do it on your time scale. He'll do it on his time scale. In fact, he likes to wait until you have essentially decided it's impossible. And there is no help for you under the heavens. Selah. But about the time you get to the Selah part, God steps out. I don't know what you're going through, but I'm here to tell you, if God said you can make it, you can make it. I don't know what tears you're crying in your midnight, but if God said you're going to get up to a new morning, when the sun comes up, the weeping will have passed and joy will be given in the morning. I grew up singing a song. You might have heard it yourself. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified. Freeing forever. And one day, he's coming back glorious. Y'all don't know this about me, but I used to be cool. I traveled three years playing the drums for choirs and chorales, and one of the songs we did was Live and He Love Me, Bow, Bow, Die and He Save Me, Bow, Bow, Garrett, He Carried My Sin Far Away, Rising, He Justified, Freeing Me Forever. Want Y'all don't deserve me. What are you talking about? I'm breaking it down up here. Y'all don't have moves like that. You're saved. <laughs> Hell wants to destroy God's covenant people. Hell wants to destroy the Jews in Israel, the Jews in America. There's more Jews in America than there are in Israel. Hell would like to destroy the children, the inheritors of the first covenant, and that's not enough. Hell would like to destroy the church. Hell would like to come into your life, your church, onto your pew, and he can't win through power. Hear me. He already has learned that day he took the first ride on white lightning uh, roller coaster. Satan was the first rider on white lightning. <laughs> he knows he can't win through power. So what is he going to do? There's only one way he can win now, and it's through deception. And he is a genius, a master of deception. And so we have to have a spiritual wisdom about ourselves. Hell wants to destroy God's covenant people. Satan hates the Jews. He is both anti-Christ and anti-Semitic. He wants to destroy Israel, the Jewish people, and he wants to destroy the church. And since ancient times, he has worked his hatred against uh, the Jews as God's original covenant people and later against the church. And his greatest work of deception is when he integrates the church in the persecution of the Jews. And that has happened in history. And there is nothing more absurd than us who were, you know how, uh, <laughs> well, I, I 
I'm getting carried away today. I should just stop. Let me skip that one. Hell would like to destroy God's covenant people. And one of the tragedies is we live in a time when uh, many people, you can hear people, mothers, there's nothing more shocking than to hear a mother say she wants her children to die as martyrs in the hope they can kill some Jews. How is it possible that you hate somebody more than you love your children? How can the love you have for your children ever be eclipsed by a hate? I'll tell you how. It is the work of the enemy. And he has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. So what do we have here? The significance of God's covenant people. The clear satanic enemy against God's covenant people. And now let's continue with the principles that are threaded through this prophetic language. Back to Revelation chapter number 12, verse number 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. This is eviction, heaven style. Their place was found no more in heaven. That means the sheriff came out, drugged them and their seven bags out and put them on the curb. Their place was no longer in heaven and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which what? Deceiveth. Somebody say it with me. Deceiveth the whole world. He has lost the game called power and he has one game left. It's called deception. His greatest deception is to convince the world that he does not exist, as uh, the famous quote says. I heard a loud voice. I heard that he was cast out, the, his angels with him. Verse 10, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. Woman, where are your accusers? They're not here, Lord. Only you, the accuser of the brethren, is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcome the accuser. How? By the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of the Lamb. That's what God did. And the beautiful image of it is the Passover itself, where a death angel is unleashed in uh, Egypt to bring judgment upon them, judgment endorsed and approved by God because of their oppression of who? Covenants, people. And this force, this death angel moving through the land is ready to wreak havoc upon any house that is available to him. But he comes quickly to this realization. There are some houses that are what? Not available to him. Why are these houses not available? Oh man, if I could preach good. These houses are not available to him. And he comes to the door and he gets to the door. He is the very personification of death. Death is not just his duty verb. It's his identity proper noun. He is a death angel. And he comes to the door and he is ready to work out his purpose. But he has to stop. Why? There is a covering of blood on the door. And he realizes these people are covered by the blood and he cannot go in. 
how, back to verse 11, did they overcome? They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. That's God's part working for you. But they also overcame in another way through the word of their testimony. That is your testimony back to God. God serves to you and you serve back to God. God blesses and you worship. You were created to be a worshiper. You were created to speak God's covenant in your life. I'm working too hard for y'all. I'm, I'm going to start. I'm going to get lazy here. This is too much hard work up here. I need a raise if I'm going to preach this hard. Holy ghost. A word of the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They love not their lives unto death. They realize there's something else worth living for. There's more to this life than just how many days I walk down here on earth. Verse 12, therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea for the devil has come down unto you having great wrath. Why, why, why? Because he knows his time is short. Satan knows he has lost and all he has left is revenge. He knows he cannot win. That ship has sailed. What is left for him to pour out wrath upon um, this earth, pour out wrath primarily upon God's covenant people and to do through deception what he could not do through power. You can overcome the enemy just by, are you ready for this? Resisting him. Satan has lost his power. I said, Satan has lost his power. You can overcome Satan just by resisting him. Now, you can't overcome your flesh by resisting it. You have to crucify that flesh. It's like today's sweet Sunday, and they brought me some sweets over to my office. I told myself I wasn't going to eat them. And then the flesh said, well, maybe just a taste. And so then I had a taste, and a little bit later, my flesh said, my, that was good. There's more. And I said, I resist you, flesh. And flesh said, get out of here. And I end up, I, don't, I ate them all none of your business. And um, I had another whole service to preach. And Sweet Sunday, we call it, you're either getting Jesus or diabetes. <laughs> I ate, uh, uh, should I stop making that joke? It's funny to me. Um, <laughs> The flesh has to be crucified. But you can over, quit being afraid of the devil. Respect spiritual powers, principalities. Respect, but no, God has already, that, that battle has been won. The battle now is not one of power, but deception. Therefore, do not be ignorant of Satan's devices. How is the church destroyed now? Not through power, but deception. How are strong believers led to backslide now? Say it with me, deception. How do people who have lived their whole life for God get cold in their spirit and quit coming to church? Deception. How do people who one time were passionately involved in the work of God, now all they care about is some hobby? Say it with me, deception. It's not a power struggle anymore. It's a love for truth. And now you're not lost because heaven has lost. You're lost because you received not a love for truth. 
The game now is a game of deception. And this is the battle happening here on earth. This work of deception. And Israel, in the imagery of the passage, is saved by God taking them away to a safe place. God keeps them in a safe place. Remember, my brother and sister, hell cannot touch you. Hell cannot touch you. You have won the victory through Jesus Christ. What hell can do is to deceive you. And if you are deceived, you will self-harm. I'm talking spiritually. If you're deceived, you will spiritually self-harm. Stay there. You will not be destroyed by the enemy. You will spiritually self-harm. The devil can't... Have you ever seen like one of those little video clips online? There's this little yappy dog and he's at the edge of the fence. He's like... And on the other side, there's this big dog. He's like... I won't kill you. And that little dog is never so happy as to run back and forth in front of that big dog. And like, you ain't got nothing. I'll whip you. Go over here. I'll knock you down. You ain't got nothing. I'll backslap you seven times for Saturday. You ain't mother fool. A fool, I say. Come over here. I'll whip you left and right. That's the little dog on this side of the fence. And why is the little dog talking so much smack. Mm, that's a prophetic man right there. He has word. And I know that's like you talking to your wife. That's what's going on right there. So I, I want to say this right now. Hell cannot touch you, but if it can deceive you, you will spiritually self-harm. You will begin to live by your feelings. You'll begin to live by your doubts. You'll begin to care about the things of this flesh. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. And here you see this woman taken to a place of safety. The image here, remember, it's not the language special effects, the Hollywood-esque scene. That's all first century prophetic language. I want you to see this. And anyone in that time reading would have understood what matters is the principles that are underneath the language. The Lord has won in the heavens. There is a covenant people here on the earth. And Satan, having lost in the heavens, seeks to destroy. God's purposes here on earth. His weapons are deception, but we are made safe by God protecting and taking us to a safe place. If we, this is 1 John 1, 17, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All right, back to chapter 12 of Revelation, verse 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which kept the commandments of God, this is law, and the testimony of Jesus Christ. What are we talking about here? The Satan is wroth with the remnant of her seed. The commandments of God, this is the inherited Mosaic law. This is the house of Israel, Satan's hatred for the house of Israel, and those who have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Who's that? This is the church. 
Those who speak the name of Jesus. I don't care what you're facing right now. You ought to speak the name of Jesus. Is your life a little bit crazy? Oh, I wish someone would receive this right now. Is your life hurting? I wish you'd speak the name of Jesus. I wish you'd stand in the face of every fear and say, I speak Jesus. I speak Jesus over my children. I speak Jesus over my family. I speak Jesus over my own capacity to fail. I speak Jesus. I speak Jesus. I speak Jesus. I speak Jesus. Are you not sleeping at night? I speak Jesus over your bed. Are you filled with pain and fear? I speak Jesus over your... Come on, somebody. Speak Jesus. would love to destroy you, but you're a child of the covenant. Hell would love to bring your story to an end, but you're a child of a covenant. And in this battle, in this battle, Go ahead, my brother. Let's take a praise break right now all across the church. Get up out of your seat. Put your hands together. Give God a shout of praise. I will overcome through the blood of the Lamb. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You know what? I'm going to stop right now. I'll finish this Wednesday night on Bible study. I'd like some of you that are having the Holy Ghost move on you. I'd like you to step out on the aisle right now. I'd like you to lift your hands. I'd like you to say, oh God, would you work in my mind? Would you work in my spirit? If you're led right now, would you reach out and take someone's hand? Would you say, I want to agree with you right now in prayer. We're going to rebuke the power of the enemy in this house. What are you facing? I bind every lie of the enemy. I speak against every deception of the enemy. Satan, your deception is not the end of the story for those who have received a love for the truth. Oh God, give us a love for the truth. Give us a love for our relationship with you, not just doctrinal purity, but a relationship with you. You are our truth. Come on, somebody. You need to speak victory in your life. You need to rebuke the devouring your life. This altar ought to be full right now. If you're facing anything, I'd like you to step out. I'd like you to come down right here and say, I speak the name of Jesus over my life. I speak the name of Jesus over my fear. I speak the name of Jesus over my despair. You ought to step out, those of you strong in the Lord. My prayer warriors, you ought to get out there and say, let me take your hand. Let me take your hand. I want to agree with you right now. In the name that's above every name, I'm going to speak the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast 
and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.